the greatest gift we can give someone is our full attention. And I thought that was just such a great reminder because especially in today's world where we have technology in our phones, buzzing, texting, ringing all the time, and it's so easy when we're bored of something to just go flip on Instagram or whatever. I think it's so important to give someone our full attention when we really want to be there, be present for them. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where every week you'll hear conversations with experts who are knee deep in the work of making the world a better place for us all. Every week I talk to social entrepreneurs, innovators, influencers who are influencing the future for us all. And you know what I've noticed about them all? They all have this vision of the future that's super um, possibility filled. They get up every morning knowing exactly what they're working towards. That is a version of the future that we all need to know. And along the way, they've been teaching us practical things that we can use in our own lives to wake up and walk with spring in our step and find purpose and meaning and have an impact. So I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles, the only place on the internet that's been curating the world news for science of insight and innovation with no politics and no ads since 2014. And along this journey, I've been meeting the most amazing people. And then last year in October of 2020, during the heart of the pandemic, I decided to find a way to share all these conversations with you. And today we're going to meet Andini Makasinski. Andini is an amazing thought leader in this world. She is easily um, a great representative of what you might call a renaissance woman. She works in that gap between art and science, and I would consider her a social innovator, a social entrepreneur, because she's putting out so many new possibilities in the world or leaving them in her wake as she works through her her way of adding new creativity to the world and so forth. She was a Google 2013 Science Fair winner with the project where she figured out how to power a flashlight with body heat, and that took her all the way to being on the Jimmy Fallon show. She's been in the Time Magazine article about the most influential people under 30, and you'll see why in a few minutes. So, Andini, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, albeit virtually. Still, <laughs> Yes, I mean, we're just making it work, aren't we? Yes, we are. I am coming to like this. Uh, you know, who knows how you and I would have met any other way, but we had a delightful conversation and I guess I'm one of those half full people. I, I, the glass is either half full or half empty. The relationships like this are possible because we can find each other more easily over Zoom. So thank you for putting up with that part of the reality of our times. Of course, no worries. You know, I introduce you as somebody who your work bridges the gap between art and science. And this is a very, a very important skill for our times is bridging the gaps. There are institutional voids all over the place in education and, and business and everything. So talk to us about your, your notions when, when someone introduces you as working in the, in the gap between art and science. Totally. I think it's a much more accurate description of me than just describing me as an inventor or someone who works in sciences or someone who's a writer. I think I've always been a bit of both an artist and a science enthusiast since I was a kid. I mean, my first toy was a box of transistors and other electronic parts, but also my first movie was a 1930s film, Alexander Nevsky, and I grew up on silent films and obsessing over 
old dead film actors while also taking old computers apart and coming up with my first inventions made with a hot glue gun and garbage from around the house. So I always had a really big mix of art and science in my life. And I felt that it's very important to have a balance of both because when you combine art and science, that's when you get the best products, best inventions out there. For example, the iPhone is a great example or anything that Steve Jobs designed. And he also believed in this intersection of humanities and technology. But if you look at any old Apple product, it's, you know, the technology works really well. It's very straightforward. The science is there, but also it's aesthetically pleasing. It's beautifully designed. I believe someone was telling me the other day that Steve Jobs used to get very upset because he would look around the world and see how badly designed everything was. And he wanted to make a product that was both beautifully working, but also beautiful visually. And so I think having this balance of science and art in my life has really reflected in my own personal growth as a human, but also my own interests, which, I mean, I made this flashlight that runs off the heat of your hand when I was a teenager. And then I made this coffee mug that harvests the excess heat of your hot drink and converts into electricity. And then the past couple of years, I had made a line of children's toys that run off of green energy that unfortunately had to be put on pause, but I'm restarting pretty soon with some new ideas. That is, well, okay. So, you know, is the takeaway message of as one of them, one of the many from your journey that does it involve just following your curiosity all over the place? Totally. I think it's really important to be curious and ask questions about the world and why things are the way they are. Is there a way to improve it for someone else or for your own situation? And then, you know, I think as adults, we often get really cool ideas, but we shut them down pretty quickly because we're like, oh, that'll be too difficult. Or like, that's not realistic with the amount of money or resources I have, things like that. But I think as a kid, we kind of have this wild imagination of anything is possible and feeling that kind of magical feeling. And I was like, I don't want to ditch that just because I'm older now and more realistic. And while I think it's important when you're coming up with with any cool idea to be slightly realistic, like not to make like, let me make a fire breathing dragon that I'm going to ride into space Mm -hmm. on Mars, but like, you know, something, I think it's good to dream big and then really try and go for it. If it is something that you're really attached to um, and be curious on what is possible because you'll be surprised oftentimes. Absolutely. I'm writing as you're, as you're talking. So when people see me uh, looking Mm -hmm. down, I'm making notes because I don't want to interrupt your train of thought. But I have to ask you about two things that you just said. One, I wanted to throw people to a really cool source of insight and innovative thinking if they haven't stumbled across. There's a very important, I think it's either a TED Talk or a Pop Tech Talk by a man named Ben Zander. And he talks about just what you said. He talks about two ways of looking at the world. One is through the downward spiral. You see only obstacles. Mm-hmm. And the other one is through radiating possibility. Totally. So you see only challenges that are there for you to find a way around. Totally. I feel like a lot of people are always like, oh, like, obviously I come from a privileged position saying this, but a lot of people are like, oh, the world's against me. Like the world hates me. Like I always have the worst luck and like all of that. And I think it's really important to always try and see the upside, even in any situation, no matter how dark it may be. I think maybe that's just something I grew up learning a lot of the time was like, no matter how much the situation may suck, there's always like a funny or a positive side to this. Even if it is with sarcastic humor, that's something I always try to approach it. But it's really, it's so, I think it's so important not to feel like the world is working against you and getting out of that mindset might be difficult at first, I can imagine, but really 
feeling like the world is open to your ideas is really important and attracting that kind of positive energy into your life instead of thinking all these negative thoughts all the time is I think a really big setting stone because the energy you put out is energy you'll attract. And I think thinking positive thoughts, even when things are difficult is really important. And the same thing comes from when you're creating something or inventing something and you are stuck because something's not working or doesn't feel right. Instead of having all these negative thoughts and spiraling down, I think it's really important to take a step back, get some perspective, take a breather, take a break, and then be like, okay, well, this didn't work out well. Let me try again in a different way instead. Very, very sage advice. Super. Absolutely super. And we all need that right now. It's just so easy to shut down. It is. You know, that is, that is the thing. You got to push past those hard moments. We've all done hard things, Mm -hmm. right? Just because we're facing another one. (laughs) Yeah, Um, you know, and even in the most difficult moments that can feel quite dark, I think it's important to take a step back and realize, like, what am I learning from this moment of horror or mistakes that I've made? Like, what can I take from this experience? Even if it's the worst experience you could possibly have, still taking something from that, that's a lesson that you can learn and share with others and continue on in your life knowing. Yeah, it's really important to manage the meaning of things. It not just let some meaning float to the surf top of mind and then stick with that first thought about it. Mm-hmm. You think it sounds like that you're being very conscious of what you tell your the stories you tell yourself. Yeah, you know, because like the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and our experiences and the stories we tell other people about ourselves and our experiences are kind of shaping our identity, how we want people to perceive us and how we want ourselves to perceive ourselves and who we are as a human. So being really gentle and kind with yourself, especially during COVID, but in general, just being kind with yourself and being proud of things you've done every day, even if they're really little, is a big step in pushing yourself forward to the bigger picture or bigger goal of who you want to become and what kind of energy or impact you want to have. Mm, so important. You reminded me of, I love to give people, feel free to do this, Andini, through this entire conversation. I love to give people, you know, resources as I have these conversations, because I didn't come by any of my ideas without the addition of outside people who were way smarter than me. So there's a wonderful book about survival that I got to recommend. It It's unbelievable. And it's not like like survival, like the politi- in the political world, you know, like mm-hmm. live on a place with all your guns and all that. It's not like that. It's a book about why if, if six people go out on a sailboat and it sinks and they all wind up in a lifeboat 60 days later, what's unique about the two people that survived? or people that were in avalanche and two people's right. And one of them was, and I'd love for you to comment on this, one of, and I'm not going to tell you what the other three are, <laughs> but one of them is having a sense of humor, even in the most dreadful, serious moments, not taking ourselves so seriously that we expect perfection in every moment. Talk to me about that. Totally. I mean, I've had some pretty dark experiences in my life that I haven't talked about. And I think the best way going forward after mulling over it for a long time and feeling really awful about it is to joke about it in your head or be like, well, I learned this from this and it was horrible, but here I am. You know, I think pulling through stuff is really important. And, you know, sometimes things can feel so dark, but then looking like huge, big picture, probably millions or thousands of people are going through the same thing you are. And they've all gotten through it and survived. And even bigger picture, like how big is the universe and space compared to this tiny problem I'm obsessing over and spiraling, you know? And I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand that kind of approach, you know, like 
this might be TMI, but like my boyfriend and I are currently just on a break this month. And I was so upset about it. I was truly so disturbed that we had come to this point in our beautiful relationship. And like, I was so depressed for like a week and a half after learning about this. And then after a certain point, I'd like started making some like light jokes about the situation and I felt a lot better. And I realized like my mom also does a similar thing. Like a lot of my friends do. And like, that is a way to kind of get through situations is to be like, well, this sucks, but at least blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know, whatever that is. And I think not taking things as seriously, but even like in the moment, it can obviously feel very serious and that's totally valid. But then I think taking a step back after you, after you have mourned or grieved or whatever that is and being like, you know, like finding something to laugh at yourself about is so important because otherwise you're going to be like walking through life, taking everything so seriously that everything is going to feel way more intense and scary if you do something wrong, you know, or like whatever that may be. I even remember like in high school, later high school, I was absent a lot from class and I just was not keeping up with a lot of my classes honestly and I would just study as hard as I could for whatever two three hours I had the night before and then I would walk into the test do my best and just walk out being like I did my best you know what like that I gave it my all for what was possible and I'm not gonna like stress about it cry about it if I get a bad grade whatever that is because I know a lot of students were taking things so intensely but I was just like I did my best and that's you know that's it and sometimes that's kind of again what you need to have is just taking things a little lighter once you've allowed yourself to feel all the emotions to kind of be like laugh at yourself because like nobody's perfect nobody's this like amazing idol that we need to or like we're not a perfect people so why take ourselves so seriously when like I mean, just the concept of being a human is just like so ridiculous. Like, I don't know, like as you know, like birds build fancy nests and like they try and attract other mates by building shiny nests or like adding it, you know, making these elaborate things. We see this all around the world. We as humans try to buy fancy pieces of metal that we drive around in and like build elaborate homes and each wall needs to be a different color. You know, like we're all just so ridiculous (laughs) as humans that I think it's important not to take things as seriously. Absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the great things if we're going to try and find a, some opportunity in disaster with the pandemic. I think we've, have you heard people talking about the, the great resignation? They're calling it the great resignation right now or the great reset. Um, I've heard the great reset, but not the great resignation. I've heard it referred to both ways. I think it's the great questioning. I think it's not about resignation. I don't think it's about reset. I think it's about people, really, the pandemic has given us cause to question the things that we took so seriously, what we saw totally. in social media. Talk to me about this. Oh my God, like, yeah, I mean, like, I can barely put on a pair of jeans after the pandemic. Like, I'm always in, like, these super loose pants now and, like, could not be bothered to, like, going out. I think also the pandemic made... As, or at least me and my relationships with people really realize like, okay, who do I really want to put in the effort to leave the house and go see versus like, who are those friends that I would do that for versus who am, who am I kind of like, eh, it's okay. Like I'll see them whenever the pandemic made us reevaluate our relationships with other people and who we want to spend time with and really go that extra mile of seeing. But also I think it made us realize, I think a lot of people, I was reading some statistic about people quitting jobs during this time. And it was kind of a quite a large number because a lot of people were like realizing their mortality, sadly, with the pandemic and going, oh gosh, I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing this 
kind of job that I'm super unhappy at. And in that way, it's kind of, if we've had the privilege to do that for those kind of, those people, it's been really beautiful to have this kind of gift of time and be like, okay, what can I do with it? Like what, or what am I gravitating towards doing in my free time? And if I can make that my job, because it's something I actually enjoy, wouldn't that be amazing? That is so, that is such a good observation. And that's what, that's what I, that's how I've been hearing it phrased the great resignation, people quitting their job to go. But I think it's a questioning. I think we're questioning what we've been doing, what we've been prioritizing, what we've been taking too seriously. Totally. Totally. I think there's just so many things that I think we're we're all going to be like, ooh, that's actually not as important as I thought. Or even like appearance or buying clothes or I think now, hopefully, I don't know if there's any statistics supporting this. There probably isn't at all. But I would hope that humans collectively would realize it's more about the experiences you have versus what you buy that will bring you joy and like who those experiences are with like what people you get to spend time around or maybe for some people it's also about like working on something that they really love and making a great discovery or a great creation that will bring them joy versus going out temporarily and getting wasted or going on a huge shopping spree even though let me just say online shopping was definitely a source of of comfort for me at some point in the early pandemic. Yeah, I was finding that word that was, that was right. Comfort. Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. That's probably it. You know, back to something I, I don't want to just brush over because I think it's a great practical tip for people. You mentioned Steve Jobs, or I did, one of us way back there. Mm-hmm. Seems like ages ago. But, you know, Steve Jobs and his, oh yes, his interest in the artistic aspect of the things he was creating. One of the things that a lot of people know about him, but some don't, some don't, so I'll mention it, is that, you know, the simplicity of all his designs, he traced back to his, a course he took on calligraphy. Yes. Yeah. How it was a discipline of the mind. So tell me, um, and I think that's such a practical way for everybody to open some new doors, to start finding some meaning and purpose. Tell me if you had any experiences. Have you gone down some paths that would have looked weird to people? And yet- Oh, for sure. I mean, I moved to- I moved to New York two years ago, two summers ago to study acting. And everyone was like, oh, my parents were like, oh my God, her child, what has happened? But studying acting was such a wonderful and very therapeutic experience for me. And I think anybody of any age, from any background, no matter if you want to be an actor or not, should take some acting classes because it really just pushes you outside of your comfort zone and this kind of wall or facade we have when we're just meeting new people or in general walking around the world and really just forces you to be totally present. It doesn't matter how much money you have or what background you're from or how successful you are. The teacher is going to tell you to roll on the floor and scream like a pig and you just have to do it. Um, And I think it's about showing up and giving it your all that is so important. And that's something that I really learned that I would not have been able to do without taking these acting classes. And I also found it really valuable, you know, for my presenting and speaking skills and all of that to have some of that training as I didn't have any of that really before. But, you know, I think in general, I've always had a big passion for the arts, whether it is playing piano, making my own short films or whatever growing up, I reciting, giving speeches and also science fair. It's kind of sad because when people think of doing science fair projects, which I did 10 of growing up, they think of, oh, people, kids in a lab, then they make a poster and then they're in some cheesy building and present to other professor and scientists. But really, science fair is a huge combination of science and art because, yes, you're doing the experiment and finding results and all of that. And that is such a big part of that. But then you have to write a whole report about it that needs to be able to like communicate 
what you've researched and discovered, then you have to make a poster board. And that's actually a big part of your judging is what your poster is like if people who are coming across your poster when you're not there can understand your project. And then you have to be able to present and enunciate your project to anybody whether they are a professor who's an expert in the field that you're doing, or if they're a five-year-old that's walking by. So science fair is a huge combination and training in both the arts and sciences. Just people don't really see it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, and like everything, it's what you make it as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that um, level, there's that judgment part involved in the science fair. I bet you learned not to necessarily stake your heart and soul on the judgment of others. Totally. I mean... When, you know, I I was quite competitive. So when I was, when the judging would happen, there would be like rounds during the day and you know, they would, they were coming at certain hours. It definitely was like an intense experience, but I just wanted to answer the best I could. And that was kind of what I always did. And I think my parents are really, I was really lucky. My parents always told me to do my best and study and prepare. And then, but obviously if things don't go well, don't completely stress over it and like spiral down because there's no point really. It's just, you, you got like, you did your best and you're moving on, moving forward. But there definitely were times where like, I remember I was reading some old diary entries recently and some judges stayed for like two hours asking me questions. And that's like a lot for a 15 year old to go through. So it definitely had some scary moments, but I think overall, it was just a great learning experience to think on my toes and be able to respond no matter what. That's so great. Also being honest, if you didn't know the answer to a question, instead of trying to come up with something, just be like, I'm sorry, I actually don't know the answer to that. And I think that's really valuable, especially for young kids to learn from an early age, is just to be honest and be like, I actually don't know what that is. Please tell me. Yes. I think if we could protect people's dignity and allow people to say they don't know, I don't know. I think that would change the world. Because a lot of times we are just making it up as we go and people's yeah. antennas are huge. We can tell when some, like, if you're smart, you can tell when somebody's totally just making it up as they go. But it's it's a two-way street. We've got to protect people's dignity and give them, of course, yeah, you know, and make sure it's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, one of my favorite quotes, uh, it sort of come, comes out of glancing um, sideways at this thing is by Madame Curie. And she said, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. Well, goodness, mm-hmm. <laughs> could be a better time for that quote. So talk yeah. about fear. Like we can talk about invention. We can talk about fear of being judged on social media. We can talk about living your truth. When I throw that quote by you, now is the time to understand more so we can live with less fear. Tell me what you think of that. Oh, gosh. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a very relevant quote nowadays with everything going on. But I think as humans, when we don't understand something, we get scared of it. And I think also because the world is so unpredictable and life in the future is continually changing, that feeling of everything being unknown and us not being able to understand that is also a very scary concept. And I think it's really about embracing the mutability of life and being like, I don't know what's going to happen. And just being okay with that is a very hard concept to wrap one's mind around, but something that I think is really valuable. And for me, 
especially growing up, I spent so much time kind of fantasizing about the future and what it could hold and what it could be like and all these. And I still kind of fall into this habit of imagining future scenarios and imaginary things that could happen, that it really pulls me away from the present moment and enjoying the present. Because really there is no past or future in that sense almost. I feel like there's just the present moment. And that's only the thing that we can really only enjoy because like the past is just us presently trying to remember things that happened a while ago but we're still in the present moment and the future is something that's happening almost right now like every second but it's not something that I can predict in any way I could give educated guesses but none of them may come true so it is kind of I think there is a lot of fear in the world and also with social media and the internet and all of that spreading false news, it even fosters even more fear. And turning on a TV channel to read, watch the news, you're probably like I was, I don't usually watch TV news anymore, but I was home with my mom the other week and I hadn't watched TV for a while and she was flipping on the news and like every single thing that the reporter was saying was like a horrific event happening around the world. And it's truly like so disturbing to read about or to hear about, but to have that constantly spewed at us all the time, I think is very harmful. And while I think it's really important to be aware of world defense, I don't think you should allow it to completely take over your mindset of fearing life. Because if we're here on this planet and we're not trying to at least enjoy it a little bit and make it more enjoyable for other people, then like, why are we here in that sense? So true. One of the things that I always talk to people about is the fact that the news is news. It's news because it's so rare. Yeah. We forget because we hear the 24 hour news cycle telling us about the same terrible, terrifying, craziest person on the planet today over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. But the reason why that's news is because that behavior is so rare. Just because there's someone that'll do some crazy thing doesn't mean we're surrounded by them. Most people find themselves in pretty good, nice, safe communities. Not all, but many of us. And if we are that privilege and we are in these nice, reasonably safe communities that are predictable and we've got four square, three square meals a day and a roof over our heads, you know, (laughs) with, with good fortune comes responsibility to use it. Right. Totally. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. You mentioned to me that you are just very these days into living your truth. Now I hear this expression over and over again. Sometimes I think catchphrases just get spoken over and over again and people forget to kind of talk about what it actually means. So for you, what does living your truth mean? I think for me, it has a lot to do with being more straightforward and honest about what I'm interested in and what I'm spending my time on. Because I feel like once I did the flashlight project and started getting so much attention when I was 15, I was still finding my own identity and who I was and having all these older adult people who had more experience in the world telling me, oh, well, you should be an engineer. That's what you're good at. Like, don't do anything else. And like, that was in your child genius or whatever. That was like a lot to take in. And I think because I didn't really fully know who I was at that time, I attached myself to that identity instead of really taking time apart to think about what were the things I was gravitating towards when I wasn't being interviewed or doing science fair or things like that. And so I think having and pursuing actively my interests in both the film, in both in film and in inventing and writing and whatever else it may be, is much more truthful to who I am. And I think while I'm still figuring that my, out still, because I'm like 23, I think it feels more genuine to be talking more about my interests in writing because my degree is in English literature and my pursuits in the entertainment industry and film and TV 
and then writing. And then also, yes, I invent and I like creating things. I like coming up with ideas and hopefully making them into a reality in front of me. But that's like part of who I am. It's not everything about me. Yeah. This having many parts is something we forget that's okay and something to celebrate, right? Totally. And I think a lot of people in the beginning, if I ever brought up my interests in the arts, wouldn't really believe it. And I, I still feel like people nowadays don't really, well, obviously I haven't released a lot of my writing publicly yet, but it's very hard for people even now to conceptualize that I could be known for inventing, but also have this whole other side of me with skills in the arts. I still think that's very difficult for people to accept about me and people kind of get angry about that. And I think there's also still a lot of stereotypes about women in who like science or who are pursuing it that need to be reversed. For example, I did this like Vice interview a few years ago and we had a cool studio set. They put me in like cool red costume. They like curled my hair. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. I was having a lot of fun on it. I was like, thank goodness, like finally an interview that's like very exciting and cool, like set to do. And then everyone in the, not everyone, but a lot of angry men in the comments were like, why did they dress her up? Like, nobody will take her seriously. Like, why did you put makeup on her face? I was like, I've had makeup on my face for every single interview I've done. Like, that's not like a big deal. And just because I am dressed nicer doesn't mean people won't take me more seriously. And if they won't, then that's a big problem that we are trying actively to fix by doing videos like this. So I forgot what your question was already, but. This this being pigeonholed. Yeah, this not being able to be many things. And some of them, like you just mentioned, contradictory in some people's minds. Totally. I think it's just really hard for a lot of guys in general to wrap their minds around the fact that women can have multiple interests and multiple talents and multiple jobs. Because, I mean, the stereotypical thing is like, oh, they stay at home and take care of the children and they don't have any other job or skill. And I think that's so old fashioned. And it's really cool to see how many girls in my generation that I know that I'm friends with and also just around the world are being really outspoken and have all these different cool interests and things that they can do. Yeah. You know, um, it reminded me of another story I could turn people on to. Are you aware of the story of the American actress Hedy Lamarr? Yes. I heard that name. Do you know how she was at the at the forefront of invention of sonar mm-hmm. during yeah. World War II? If people want to throw something in the search box, you're going to get the story. Hedy Lamarr, I think it was her name is spelled uh, H-E-D-Y. If you put Hedy Lamarr, sonar, World War II. And, you know, she died a pauper. She was never, she should have been, she should have been compensated by the U.S. government. She went through all the patent stipulations and all that, and she never was. And she, there's some that argue that she could have been responsible for us winning finally in the end, defeating Hitler. So (laughs) this has been a problem for a long while. That's a great inspiring story. If you want to look at just plowing ahead, following curiosity, that's what this actress, um, Hedy Lamarr, and she was known as quite the bombshell, but she had this, this curiosity that she followed painstakingly. So so we're going to take a break and I'm going to talk to folks about, about something that we're kind of dancing around this whole first half of the interview, um, it, which is, it is no matter what the outside world is saying, uh, following, finding your purpose, looking for meaning in the things um, that, that you're doing and um, having an impact. So let's take a break and then we'll come back and we'll continue this great conversation with Andini. There is an important shift happening in the world right now. And I'm wondering if you've noticed it in your own life or the people you care about. 
people are deciding it's time to start living with purpose. They're feeling there's something they are uniquely built to contribute. And it's all across the spectrum. It's recent grads, it's nine to fivers, it's second climbers who've had a successful career. And here's the thing, we've got this itch, but many of us don't have the faintest idea where to start a journey of purpose. And that's what we're bringing the world on October 10th, the second annual Conspiracy of Goodness Summit. An afternoon of events, short, powerful talks, interactive questions, and Q&A, it will send you soaring with new energy and tools and insights that you need to develop a roadmap for living a life that you want, that, that matches your version of something exciting and joyful and meaningful. So the most important opportunity to get a whole lot of energy from others and a lot of insights all in one place, October 10th, between noon and three. The bottom line is this, people are solving some of the world's biggest problems. They still think the future's bright and we need to know what they know. So you can learn directly from their lived experiences and connect to the community of others who are purpose-driven and celebrate and amplify your own best impulses. Join us for the Conspiracy of Goodness Summit. That's cogsummit.com. The event is your place to connect, collaborate, and if you're up for it, change the world with the remarkable people you'll meet at the Conspiracy of Goodness Summit. Have a great day. Okay, we're back. So, Andini, I want to just continue with the same motion that we were in. I think we were really talking about a lot of common things that people experience in everyday life that are going on, well, and just untalked about a lot of times because people are afraid to be vulnerable. Totally. And you and I had a little bit of a conversation about vulnerability, and it's not on my list of questions, but we brushed against it so many times in our conversation in the first half. Talk to, you, talk to me about how you're navigating this world of, of just trying to be open to vulnerability. It's definitely very difficult, and I feel like being honest, even if you are honest on social media, will never be truly fully feeling like vulnerable as in like vulnerable in front of your best friends or whatever. It's like a different, you know, experience. But I think also when it comes to creating or being a creative person, sharing something that you've made is a very vulnerable experience because you're kind of opening it up for unfortunately all this criticism, good or bad, and what people have to think about yourself. And I feel like also just on the internet and with social media, it's you are putting yourself out there in some sense, even if it is a filtered version of yourself. And a lot of people have a lot of times not very nice things to say about you. So I think it's kind of allowing yourself to, allowing to share yourself with others through social media is great, but also to realize and keep in mind that they all have their own issues and their own problems and to not take it as seriously with what they've got to say. But I feel like also, honestly, acting classes helped me learn to be a lot more vulnerable around people or to be more vulnerable with myself and what my truest, deepest, darkest thoughts are about things and kind of be when you're vulnerable with yourself, I think you're more honest with yourself. And that's something that I think a lot of us struggle with. That's easier to live with than the shaped up, polished up version that we're always, always trying to create, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that brings me to, I think that brings me to a really important question that I'd love for you to comment on. You know, in my own work, I teach people about these four shifts that we can make in the way we go to the internet. We go there with absolute purpose 
we we pause and ignore a lot of what we, we used to just click on out of impulse. And one of the things that boils down to is what we give our attention to expands. It just does, whether it's the you know negatively talking about our boyfriend or our mother or whatever at work, you know, just really digging into a negative relationship with a coworker, whatever we give our mm-hmm. attention to expands. So talk to me about how you're, because you, you're, you're making a pretty concerted effort to notice what you're giving your attention to. Yeah, I think it's really, I mean, one of my favorite actors from the 80s, Richard Chamberlain, who is still alive somewhere and I would love to meet him. He, I was reading his autobiography because I'm obsessed with him. He was like in the Thornbirds and Shogun and Dr. Kildare, all this stuff. And he had, his autobiography is really amazing to read. And, and he had this really great insight, this quote that I probably won't say completely correctly, but he was pointing out that like the, basically what he was saying was that the greatest gift we can give someone is our full attention. And I thought that was just such a great reminder because especially in today's world where we have technology and our phones buzzing texting ringing all the time and it's so easy when we're bored of something to just go flip on instagram or whatever i think it's so important to give someone our full attention when we really want to be there be present for them and then in some ways us being present is the greatest gift of all to someone because you know it's really hard to have someone's full attention nowadays and i think also us being there for other people and giving them our full attention when they're speaking to us is something that I think also a lot of younger people, like younger than me, are going to really struggle with. And yeah, so I think like it's kind of like this attention economy now, if anything, where Instagram, Twitter, whatever, they're all fighting for our attention and for the amount of time we spend on their app. Like Instagram does not care at all about their users' mental health or how they're doing. All Instagram cares about is how much time you're spending scrolling, whether it be on an ad or someone else's photo, they're collecting all of the data and then selling it or using it for their own benefit. So be careful who you spend your time with and what you're spending your time on. That would kind of be my main suggestion. Yeah, that's, and you know, I always like to point out that that this attention economy, that there's this attention economy we've been in since the advent of radio. That was the beginning mm-hmm. of, of being able to manipulate millions of people's attention, right? Totally. totally. <laughs> that, but the thing, the thing with radio yeah. is that at least people would sit down and they would listen to the radio. Like they would, I still listen to these old 1940s, 1940s radio shows, Sherlock Holmes mysteries that were like half an hour and Basil Rathbone would play Sherlock Holmes. Nigel Bruce would play Dr. Watson. I still listen to them all the time since I was a kid, but I'm not like sitting down and listening. I'm like cleaning the house or I'm doing something like even then, like our attention is still split versus in the thirties or whenever, when they had these kinds of things, people would sit down and they would look forward to listening silently or if they were eating dinner or something like that. And still now with podcasts, people usually are driving or they're commuting. Like they're never really fully giving their attention in that way. Yeah. It's about the wholeheartedness of it. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is a discipline. I really believe that we can work on is bringing our wholeheartedness to the present, which is something you've referred to already two or three times. Totally. Lots of ways, you know, though, um, I'd love to have your comment on this. I, I say, I, I happen to think that there's a giant population of people right now who are working on 
looking at the attention economy in our rearview mirror and embracing what I'm calling a gratitude economy, where we start giving, consciously giving our attention to the people for people we're, we're grateful for. Measured voices, thoughtful people, people that have the next cool idea. And I think your generation is largely responsible for that because you're starting to know the game that's being played with your emotions, especially on the internet. And you're going, no, <laughs> you're smarter than that. And then what you're doing is, I see it, you guys are giving your attention to the people that you're grateful for that are going to shape the future in a positive way for us all. I think more and more you're tuning, you're unfollowing, you're tuning out the, the people building up the chaos. Am I totally. right? I think, yeah, I think it's really important now, now that we all have, majority of us all have phones, that when we stay in communication with people, it's the people we, we really care about and want to have a relationship with. But at the same time, I could also argue that we are actually spending too much time communicating. Mm. I, I mean, okay, so I mean, I'm an introvert to some extent, but I'm, all, I'm also very extroverted when I'm with a certain group of people or like a smaller group of people. But I, I do feel like we are almost spending too much time communicating all the time with people that we're actually losing time that we could be spending on ourselves. And I think while it's important for us to maintain relationships with people, I think we can also, now that we have technology and we can text them every second, use that as an excuse of like, oh, well, I've been talking to people all day or I've been so busy that you're not, you're not making any time for yourself and your own projects. So that is something that I've seen with a lot of people who are close to me that I would look out for. And and like, I also truly, I guess I have a gift of just hating texting most people. So I'll reply like two weeks later, most of the time. But I also know that I have relationships with these people that I've built up in person, where they know, even if I don't reply to, for two weeks, they still know that I really care about them. Right. I would never want to feel pressure in any relationship to keep texting someone every day, because that's just so exhausting. And I have so many other things that I want to do in life. But I, going back to following and unfollowing, I think that is totally true, which said that a lot of people, or at least now are more conscious of, oh, is this person like making me feel good about myself when I follow them and see what they share online? Or is this something that's making me really disturbed constantly and not really adding to my life in a beneficial way or in a way that's prompting me to take action to fix this disturbing thing? So honestly, I've unfollowed a lot of people or like every week I usually cleanse through who I'm following, who I'm not following, because just the less people that I'm following, the better for me personally, because I already am losing so much time by going on social media that I'd rather just maintain or stay in communication with the people I really care about or admire. And then everything else is kind of like, you know, or I'll follow people and then I'll mute them because I need to have them and like be able to contact them at some points, but I don't want to like see what they're doing all the time. Cause sometimes it's just like a lot to do or a lot to process. And also there's a lot of people that you may be in contact with or are friends with, and they're doing a lot better than you quote unquote, in some sense. And they're sharing that. And then that can make you feel insecure about yourself. And I've definitely experienced things like that where I've just muted people, not because I don't like them or because they're like a horrible friend, but just because I'm like, I have already so much going on for myself. I just need to focus on that. And if I keep comparing myself to other people, which is the main thing that people do on social media, that is not going to be beneficial for me. So there's so many different kinds of relationships you can have with social media, but I definitely feel like my generation and younger are being a lot more aware of who they're connecting with and who they want to stay in touch with through it. Mm -hmm. Well, you've mentioned something that I hope becomes a more and more common observation is social media is simply an only comparison without context. Totally. I mean, there's just no context. I can train this 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 box to be exactly what you see of me, but you can't see my dirty laundry right over here. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. not that there is dirty laundry, there, but <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. 
this is it. I mean, if we don't teach, if we don't remind each other constantly that social media is comparison without context, we're only seeing what people want us to see. Like 1% of someone. Yeah. And obviously like if we take a slew of photos of ourselves and there's some really ugly ones and then there's some great ones, we're obviously going to post the great ones. Like why would we post the not so great ones, you know? So like that's just human nature, I think most of the time. So yeah, we definitely, and I do myself curate what I post online, but so, and I really struggled with all of that for so long. And then I just realized, you know what, I'm either going to post for work or if I feel cute or if it's something that I'm really excited or enthusiastic about. And that's usually like old dead actors or like clips from old movies that I find really fascinating. And I just want to share it with other people, but I try and not post anything else or take it too seriously or else it can just you know, spiral and become this huge thing in my head. So yeah, but everyone's different. Everyone has a different approach to social media. I know I could be more successful on it if I like posted every day and marketed myself a certain way and kept very consistent, all this da da da. But it's just so exhausting to like, truly my dream would be able to be able to hire someone to just do all of that for me. And I would never have to touch a phone again. Seriously. Okay. So I love this. I love this because I can imagine a world and I'm going to ask you the world about the world you imagine in a minute, but I can imagine a world where we, where we consider the internet in its very first iteration, just like there were the very first cars, the very first cell phones, the very first GPS. That isn't the end of the story. We lived with these things for a while and then we reimagined them. We reinvented them. We, the the internet and social media is really only about 20 years old or Mm. less. I mean, I was, I had a, a Facebook page very near the beginning of, of, of Facebook for my dental practice. Who had that in dental yeah. did not have Facebook pages early on, but I was an early adopter. So, so I think, what if we reimagine social media as us hanging back a little bit, not posting every single day, only like really get thoughtful, only the things that are really important, like you just said. Totally. Yeah. I definitely think there's more healthier ways to use social media, but we're all in, as individuals working through that and trying to find the best way. Well, I can imagine a future where we, we wisen up and we just mm-hmm. use our time more effectively. Tell me what you're, you know, you look at, you're an innovator, you're an inventor, you're an artist. Is there a future that you can imagine for us? That's a heck of a lot brighter than with the way most people are seeing the future right now. Totally. I think there's so many cool inventions and products being made that are much more eco-friendly and sustainable that just need a little more of a financial push to help get it onto a bigger market. And I think, yeah, I think there's so many cool ideas coming out that have a lot of potential to impact the world in a really positive way. And I know sometimes it's really daunting for people to think really big picture about how can I stop global warming? And that can feel like a huge problem to solve. But I think if you can actually make the question you're asking more specific, but still contributing towards slowing down global warming. So you can be like, what's a problem in my community or my family or my cousin or whatever that I can see that I could fix? Because if you can create a solution for that one person or that one community, it could actually snowball and reach so many other people that are also facing the same problem. And I think if we all have that kind of mindset where we're like, I have a purpose, I can create a solution and it doesn't matter my age, background or education level. And I can create value to help someone else in the world. That is what's going to create a better place 
for everybody here. And I think the educational system, even though it's, it's, I mean, it's like a hundred years behind most of the time, but also it's slowly pushing forward a little bit. I think the educational system typically is always being like, you need to finish high school. You need to finish your undergrad. You need to finish your master's or graduate. And then you can make a difference in the world by contributing something. And I think telling kids starting in grade three, like, or whatever age, like, hey, you can make a difference right now. And having classes in school that actually push children to do stuff that's not for school and outside of school is really, really important. Ah, oh, that is a, that's a great reimagining of several systems there. That's exactly what we need to do is we need to work around these obstacles. These are the times when we're going to get it done, right? Like when the whole system is coming apart, I'm sure you learned this in, 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 in some sense in engineering, you learn the most when the whole system is falling apart. Totally, totally, for sure. Yeah. So I'm being asked a lot in, when I do public speaking to talk about why you just referred to it, how we learn to understand how much we matter to one person or two or 10. I mean, I started ever widening circles because I saw a horrible video um, that it was that moved me to think that that there are many, many little girls in Afghanistan that would never know all the possibility that's out there for them. I don't, and here we are, funny, the coincidence or tragic, the coincidence that of what's happening in Afghanistan right now. And this, this image that I have of this little girl and ever widening circles pointing to all the possibility that now is a lot less likely for her, but we can get, go forward. So tell me light of those kind of, you know, when you see news stories, how do you handle the news personally? And because I know you probably don't dive in very much, but you are aware of the world. Do you have a, any practical tips on what you, the stories you tell yourself when you see bad news, are you shifting? Are you, have you found ways to, to tell yourself a story that, that allows you to move forward? I mean, it's, it's always really distressing to read about whatever's going on in the world at the current moment. But I think, honestly, I wish I was always a little more informed than I make myself, but sometimes there's just so much going on that it can feel really heavy to read everything every single day once you wake up. So if I'm feeling like in a good headspace, I'll like dive into depth in articles and read news. But then other times I would just, especially when COVID was beginning last year in March, and all the numbers were coming out and people didn't really know what was happening and lockdown had started. I, I couldn't read the news. Like it made me so anxious. So I just would get my boyfriend, he would be reading the news and then he would relay to me things that were happening because sometimes it's truly horrific to read what's happening and terrifying and, and feeling that emotion for so many other people that are going through something so horrific and feeling like I can't do anything about it is really horrible. And, and also, I mean, earlier this, a few months ago, reading about the still ongoing COVID crisis in India was really horrible to, and I was watching some videos that different newscasters had done and, and, you know, like it was really disturbing. So I was like, what can I do from a distance? And maybe that's to donate, which I did and like try and post about and share about it on social media so other people could too. But it, it is a very difficult concept overall reading the news to tackle. I found that the, what you just mentioned is the way to move forward, even if a baby step. Just find some way to engage in in the problem solution cycle mm-hmm. yourself, right? Totally. Even if it is Agreed. to donate, yeah. And and there is that over that sense of overload. And I think that's a nice workaround that you came up with. <laughs> Just tell me what I need to know. Yeah, I like that. I, I think it's. I think any kind of workarounds are good these days. So, Andini, when you talk about what your purpose is right now and how it fits into everything that you've already done, tell me tell me what that looks like. Right now, I'm working on a book 
that's based about the combination of art and science, why I believe that's really important, and also the different stereotypes behind people who are pursuing science and or art. So I'm working on that. I'm also working on developing it several different television product uh, projects, also about art and science that I'm really excited about that I wish I could speak more on, but not yet. So I've been working on that and still taking online classes for university, things like that. I mean, my usual job is public speaking, or at least the main way I earn income, but that is not happening. So it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, I've just been kind of concentrating on several different projects that are kind of a combination of art and science. So share with us a few things that you really feel, I mean, I don't want to steal your thunder in the book, but you got any practical things going on in the book that you want to share one or two of to get people excited about about reading it? I think just the main things that I'll be discussing is kind of my own experience being a young inventor in that world starting when I was 15 and going forward through that but then also other people's experiences and my friends' experiences of being young scientists and having their own lab when they were 17 and what that was like and kind of the different difficulties that a lot of women especially have encountered in the STEAM, which is science, tech, entering arts, math world and why a lot of stereotypes stereotypes and expectations need to be dissuaded, if that's the right word, or just not, not accepted anymore or generalized. And, you know, shows like the Big Bang Theory didn't help that much when it came to kind of not enforcing these stereotypes about people in science. And I think while, you know, for sure, they're definitely stereotypes always come from some sort of place, but that doesn't mean it applies to everybody. And that doesn't mean that anyone who fits into maybe some part of that stereotype can't improve or grow in some way. And so kind of, it's kind of a book that will kind of, I hope, push people and also push teachers and the educational systems around the world to kind of open up the possibilities of combining science and art at, and those subjects at a very early age, mm-hmm. which I believe will have a huge impact also on how girls and boys and everyone perceive people and perceive professions in the arts and sciences and will actually encourage more of them to go forward in those fields. Absolutely. You know, it's so easy to be trapped in our own limiting beliefs. Yes, it is. That kind of belief about yourself and what you can achieve because everyone around you in society and what you've read and what you've watched has told you a certain thing that's going to limit you. So it's kind of I think it's really important that some sort of book or media or whatever it is comes out that shows how valuable it is to have different talents, even if they feel so far apart, there's always a way to bring them together. And having all these different talents and interests can always support one another in ways that you would have never expected. Absolutely. You know, I published a book about a year ago called Happiness is an Option. And in the book, I talk about what what I call the innovator's recipe after writing so many articles about some of the people with the most innovative ideas in the world. We discovered that there's this common thread, these five things that all of them do. And the, the second one is that there are people that connect things that no one ever thought to combine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I first read about you, I I said, I got to have her on the podcast was this, this idea of the hot coffee cup and being able to convert that heat into energy that could charge something. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's connecting a hot coffee cup with your phone that that's right. That's right. And that strikes (laughs) us. Are you getting your information? Like share with us where you, where, where you find inspiration. I love a podcast called Ologies. She talks to ologists of every kind and she's a hilarious public speaker, but, and, and I, I love uh, some 
philosophy podcast? Are you getting your information from podcasts? Are there books you're reading? Where are you getting your information? Gosh, I don't know. It's kind of random for me, but I think a lot of my inspiration actually just comes from my own head and imagining things. But definitely reading books on a variety of different subjects is always helpful. Like right now, this is super off topic, but I'm reading a book about how old Hollywood until now has created quote unquote the star and how that's changed the image of a star from the 1920s until now. Super off topic, but it's helpful for some of the other TV projects I'm working on. And then also um, there's an Instagram for the World Economic Forum. That's I found really inspiring to follow because they share all these really cool stories and inventions that are coming out that you may not hear of on the big news just yet. So yeah, I mean, inspiration comes from anywhere. It can come from a person, from a conversation you're having with a friend. There's definitely times where I feel, it's not that I never feel not inspired. It's that I feel lazy and Mm. that I don't feel like doing work. And I feel like sometimes, I mean, you have to be kind of in this mood of wanting to, actually, no, I disagree. A lot of people are like, oh, like I need a special Like, it's obviously easier to create when you have a special space or special desk, special room, all of that equipment that you need. That I agree with. But I also feel like, for for example, like being a writer, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I don't like where I just don't get anything done. And it's not because like I didn't have my special typewriter or whatever in front of me. It's just because I was being lazy and not pushing myself. And I think the thing that I aspire to the most, which I have not yet accomplished, but would love to do is just to wake up and then go and sit in front of my computer and just force myself to write. Because once you, it's like the start of beginning to work. That is always the most difficult when it comes to creative acts. But once you start and you get into that flow state, that's when things start to happen. So I think something going forward that I really want to work on and that I would push more people to do as well is to just push yourself, even if you don't feel like it or you're not feeling quote unquote inspired to just sit down and start because then you will start feeling inspired. I can promise you that. That is great advice. You know, most most of the most famous writers, of course, you're a literature major, you know the stories of most of the, the most well thought of writers in the last hundreds of years have some kind of routine where they made themselves go sit in this one place for Yeah. I think actually my background on my laptop right now, I wish I could share it with you, but I'll read it. It's about the playwright Bernard Shaw. And he had a writing hut that's literally just a room with a door and a table and a typewriter and a chair and a telephone. And in this writing hut, he would use to escape people. And it was built on a turntable so it could rotate to follow the sunlight around throughout the day. And it had a typewriter, heater, phone for emergencies or food and a bed. And he said, people bother me. I came here to hide from them, which I know isn't true of everybody, but I totally get that when you are kind of in a creative state and something solitary, like writing, at least you should be alone. Or I like co-working with a friend sometimes, but like truly just forcing yourself to be in a situation where you have to work on it is a huge part of creating. I always carry around a notebook and a pen. And if I'm in a restaurant or waiting or whatever, and I have an idea, I'll take time to write it down or do whatever. I don't think it matters always depends on your profession where you are or that you're like feeling creatively inspired I think you should just force yourself to sit down and if you have that discipline to start you're gonna have the discipline to carry through and then you'll get excited oh that is lovely and these are these are habits that I can concur with you and I I carry around sticky notes the other day I was doing taking a walk listening to a podcast and I ended up with eight pages of notes while walking I mean inspiration well inspiration can hit at any time And that Pascal said, chance favors the prepared mind. 
So this is how we progress in the world. I have loved our conversation today. So Andini, wrap it up for me. Tell me where people can find you, where they can do take next steps to connect with your work. People can just find me on my website, which is www.annmackasinski.com. And then I have an Instagram account and a Twitter account, which are both the same names, which is at annmackasinski. Okay, and we will put all these links in the show notes as well and anything else Ann and I have spoken about. So thank you so much for joining us today. For more information about anything that we've said, take a look around. We're, they're going to be hidden there in the show notes, all kinds of links. And remember to check out the Conspiracy of Goodness Summit. <laughs> it's how we're going to get started on this journey that Anne's been pointing to for one a journey of similar inspiration for us all is if we start with the lessons that other people can share with us. Thanks for sharing with us, Andini. I hope that all your connections, all mine, everybody listening to Goodness and Progress carry on through the rest of your week. And we'll see you next week with another guest who can open all kinds of doors and windows for us all. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks.